Dionisio at the plate, he's over to today. Swakowski, the big right hander, lets it go. It's right down Broadway. Dionisio lets it fly, and it's. Oh, it's raining now. everybody and welcome to another episode of Rain Delay Theater, the show where two bums talk about other bums at baseball games. I'm Jeremy Dionisio. And I'm Jack Swakowski. This is episode number 128 of the podcast. Uh, normally we would be uh, running down someone uh, with the 128 uh, homers or wins. Uh, number one, we're not doing that because the list kind of sucked. Um, and number two, we have a special guest today, so we, we don't want to keep uh, anyone waiting. We're going to roll right into that. So, uh, without further ado, I suppose, uh, we should, uh, introduce, um, our special guest, uh, friend of mine, uh, former bandmate, former roommate, uh, artist, musician, local skateboard video maker guy in Chicago, uh, Rich Salamander. Rich, how you doing, man? (laughs) Thanks a lot. I appreciate that. I didn't know you guys were former roommates. Oh, yeah. Well, Yeah. we'll, we'll get into that in another podcast. (laughs) <laughs> well, no, one of my early notes is to to get into that. Okay. Um before we get it before we really get into all that, Jack, just to set the table of the the climate of baseball right now, it's it's July 28th. The the trade deadline is upon us. Jack, uh I don't know if the the big question is we're recording this July 28th. Um will Chris Bryant still be a cub by the end of this recording? We don't know. Well, a- Anthony Rizzo's dad was saying goodbye to uh all of the Wrigley Field staff. I don't know, did you see that one? Oh, that geez. tweet? No, yeah. I didn't. Um, so, well, that may have been somebody overreacting um, on Twitter, but uh, yeah, that was happening too. Yeah, that's kind of like you know a third degree of uh, departure, I suppose. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, a lot of trades are happening right now um, in baseball, and a couple more days left before the deadline. But uh, it's also like swelteringly hot in Chicago right now, so all three of us <clears> are, are dying here of heat uh, to to get a good recording. <laughs> uh, no air conditioning in the background, but we'll survive. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Rich, like, thank you for, for being here. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, we're, we're completing the, uh, the most, most of the members of the English soft hearts here, the, the rock band that, uh, I played in with you guys. Uh, we, we had past guest Mark bubble bath on. And, uh, so we're, we're getting there, uh, for, for all the members, but, um, so yeah, I don't know, Rich. Uh, I guess um, the first thing I was going to bring up is uh, yeah, we are former roommates, and um, we we lived together uh, during the uh, 05 White Sox uh, World Series. Um, and one of my early memories, Rich, uh, with you, is the uh, <laughs> the 05. This is not a Mark Marin confrontation type of thing, but uh, I do have some funny like memories uh, with with you and, and baseball. Um, one of which is during the 05 World Series. I don't know if you remember this, uh, Rich, but I remember watching the 05 World Series with you, and it's, there's no mistake that I'm a Cubs fan. Um, and it, it was a White Sox World Series, and our, our mutual friend, Ben Perkins, who's also a former guest on this podcast, I remember all three of us watching the, the, the World Series in the, in the living room of the apartment, and uh, I remember Ben, like, you know, drinking to to the white Sox and celebrating and i was kind of just watching it as a passive viewer and i remember rich you were you were kind of like come on man celebrate this is you know it's the white Sox, or it's like you know whatever it's a world series they're winning the world series i'm like not my team not my team and i think 
I think you were a little. I think you're a little uh, mad at me for that. Well, that's that's actually a great segue into a quote quote that just popped in my head from John Hughes, who in Breakfast Club the janitor is wearing an old school socks T-shirt under his uh, janitor outfit. By the way, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs> hello, Jack, and hello, Jared. Um, uh, JJ. Um, the thing is that um. There is a quote in the Ferris Bueller Days Off uh, Day Off um, director commentary, which is rare because uh, John Hughes doesn't do that. So he did it for Ferris, and um, the Wrigley Field scene came up, and uh, he said, uh, uh, "Great Field, wrong team." So that was like shots fired, and he he sort of identified as a Sox fan. So. This stuff is is strange because for me, when I was growing up, my friend in my neighborhood um, who lived across the street from me, we went to Wisconsin Dells together. We, we grew up together. We just recently reconnected on Facebook. His dad was from the south side, Polish, <clears throat> and um, he had season tickets for the Sox, and we lived on the north side. We lived in uh, Fullerton and Central neighborhood, so we would... Uh, go to Comiskey Park, the original Comiskey Park, a lot. I, I just remember not doing my homework uh, a lot of nights. <laughs> just like yeah. wandering around Comiskey Stadium, all the seats and like there were, there were just layers of green paint, like just like yeah. a, just like like an old Chicago uh, park bench or something. But this was like, this was like a battleship or something. Like just. The whole thing, I mean, when you went to, like, old um, Chicago Stadium, like, to see the Blackhawks, this is the loudest, you know, um, standing ovation, of course, during the um, the Star National Spangle, Anthem. The National yeah. Anthem. But also, I, I recall, I could be wrong, but in the old Chicago Stadium, literally, the uh, organ looked like it was going to fall over. It was, like, sideways. I it was mean, coming out of the wall, this, like, it, coming out of the side of the li- Literally, you were just like, this thing's going to fall, man. <laughs> But that's how the vibe was at Comiskey Park. You would walk around the stadium because it was like Ron Kittle, Carlton Fisk, um, man, Harold Baines. Okay, so these were the guys that I identified with growing up, even though I was a North Sider, but my friend's dad was a South Sider. So to bring it full circle, um, (laughs) when when Ben would our roommate would identify. You know, as when it's convenient, I guess that, that that's a key word there. Convenient for sure. It was a chance that, to drink and celebrate. I think it, that somebody who grows up in like old Irving Park neighborhood, it kind of mm-hmm. rubs them the wrong way. Now, I recall being on the north side when they won, and it was quiet as a mouse. So, just to tell you the way um, sports are in Chicago, it's very serious, and maybe it, to some it seems like it's not a big deal, but it is what it is, and the south side was going crazy. North side, really quiet. You know, that's what I recall. I mean, we were in uh, Wicker Park. I thought yeah. at least somebody would honk a horn or something, but nothing. No, no, they couldn't be bothered to. But um, it's 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 interesting because, like, um, not aesthetically, but like spiritually, I feel like we probably should be White Sox fans because we're kind of like they're the underdogs. They're kind of rough around the edges. They're kind of goofballs. I feel like that 
explain like that that definitely describes like the household we, we lived in and like our general friend group uh go back and listen to the mark bubble bath episode i think like spiritually we probably should be uh white Sox fans but i i mean i was born into the cub cubdom and um so so yeah so that's one thing uh one note jack i don't know if you want to jump in on that at all but uh i have a well, yeah, no, I uh, I had never really thought of that perspective of North Side, South Side, and the celebrations. Um, I wonder what it was like on the South Side in November 2016 when the Cubs won. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I had never it had never really occurred to me that people were not going crazy um, up in Wrigleyville when the White Sox won. But I guess they probably weren't. So that, that's pretty interesting. I was not. I was living in Milwaukee at the time. Um, I was in college uh, in 05. So, uh, yeah, that's an interesting perspective that I never had never occurred to me. Um, yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, well, and so that leads us to then the whites, uh, the, the Cubs uh, World Series in 2016. Um, now, uh, my memories of, of watching that that game seven of 2016 uh, involves uh, previous guest Mark Bubblebath and uh, future guest Errol Scholl. Um, and also involves Rich uh, too, who is uh, at the uh, at, at my apartment. Uh, we were all watching Game Seven, uh, and so this was <laughs> this is the first game that we all watched together of the playoffs, I believe. Well, Rich was maybe over a couple times, I think, but maybe not during the actual World. Where we watched, uh, yeah, I can't remember exactly, but uh, in my memory, it was like the first World Series game we had watched together. Um, I could be wrong, but. Uh, Rich was, uh, Rich was like the, like the cheerleader of like, of the group, like just vocal, very vocal, very like, you know, like, come on, kick his ass or like, you know, like the Cubs were like dominating the first half of that, that, that game. And it was really easy to get, to get pretty confident. Um, unless you're like some kind of scarred, like self-loathing Cubs fan, such as myself. (laughs) And so like. As much as I wanted to celebrate, I think they were up five one at some point. Uh, I think that maybe that was like the biggest lead that they had at some point. Um, you know, I, I was I was hesitant to, to celebrate it at all. Um, and uh, Rich was which like just just being vocal and, and just being into it and and being positive and everything and and getting a little getting a little confident, a little co- too confident for my for my liking. And instead of like, there were times where I was like, Rich please like you're going to do like, we can't, we can't be this confident, like something bad could happen. But I also didn't want to say that because I felt like that would be like put bad mojo into the air to even like speak it. So I just kind of tried to write it out and just, you know, go one, one out at a time, one out at a time. Um, We all know that the Rajay Davis Homer happened and the game was tied up. Um, I felt like my, the muscles in my ass like tighten up. And like, I felt like, like almost hovered over off of off of the couch um rich then became completely mute <laughs> completely, <laughs> completely like silent and and uh and catatonic was just kind of staring and just like just completely like the wind was never knocked out of anyone's sail so much um and and i was like i i kind of went to another place a little bit um, what I do remember is like, I think maybe during the, you know, there was, there's the, uh, the so-called, uh, the, the, the legend of the, the Jason Hayward speech, um, which some hosts of this podcast might <laughs> call into question if it actually went, if it actually existed. But, um, I think I had my own speech and I remember going to rich during like, I don't know if it was during the rain out or rain delay or like maybe the top of the, uh, or the bottom of the ninth or something. But I like. I went to Rich and I'm like, Rich, 
you can't give up on me now, man. You got it. You got to stay with it. Like we got to just stay with it. Like don't don't give up on me now. Like we we got to keep going. We got to keep going. And um, you know things things turned out the way that they did. But uh, that was quite a roller coaster. And uh, I mean ultimately, I'm glad we were all there to 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 to, to celebrate it together. But I remember maybe this is something I'll confront Aero when he's on the podcast in a couple of weeks. But he did something like right after the Rajay Davis homer that like like stuck in my mind um and like uh yeah so you know as a Cubs fan obviously all of those individual moments are emblazoned into like my my brain but uh, that was another memory that I have rich of, of watching that game seven with you it's tough because when you have a national broadcast for yeah. a beloved local family member or group of family members you know it's tough on um your ears and Again, I've had some time away from that particular game and uh, subsequent games, but <clears throat> it has to be mentioned that I think everybody that deals with a national broadcast uh, game, and we're going to bring up his name, Joe <laughs> Buck. <laughs> Joe Buck is on the mic. You think this is amazing uh, lineage of uh, broadcasting from his dad to him and he's got an amazing voice and he's incredible as a broadcaster one of the best in history unless your team is in the game that he's announcing there's just these very subtle subtle uh, one-liners that may come out from here and there and I'm being kind about it because at this point I'm not maybe I'm getting myself emotional again because there's just times when he's speaking where he's giving you the unadulterated pragmatic approach and it's tough. It's tough because, (laughs) um, you know, somebody on your team might do something great. He might miss it. And then the other guy on the other team does something okay. And then he praises it, you know, and it's this praise, uh, neglect back and forth from one team to the other and you just can't get him on your side so you just have to like deal with it you know you just have to deal with it grind it out let him do what he's doing try to carp carp carpamentalize how do you say that compartmentalize your emotions because it's uh it's a battlefield it's an emotional battlefield you know so i recall a lot of my uh angst going towards joe buck <laughs> you know <laughs> No, 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 uh, nothing personal. It was just highly emotional time, you know what I mean? Well, Joe Buck doesn't like the Cubs, right? I mean, he's probably, he's probably a Cardinals fan. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, well, it's, Rich, I'll just say this. We, like, first of all, no need to be polite or, or even fair um, on this podcast because that's our whole thing is, like, uh, attacking these people, <laughs> rightfully so or not. Um, so that's one thing. Um, and we can get more into the Joe Buck thing uh, when we get into it, but uh, uh, the, the 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 new like newer uh, annoying thing about Joe Buck is now that he now he acknowledges that people think he's biased. And he's like, well, you know me, I'm biased. Like, and he'll say it like as a like tongue in cheek. And it's like, dude, like you can't stop making people hate you. But anyway, um, we can we can save a little more of that. Um, the last the last note that I have here before we get into this list here um, is. Uh, Another thing that we all did as friends would would we would go and play um, home run derby a lot of times on the Fourth of July, uh, so we would try to find like a little league park 
that was open that had a fence and we would just throw like league balls to each other and try to um, hit homers. Um, we were at one park in particular and um, <laughs> Rich was at the, at the bat at this, in this particular thing. I see, I see, I'm trying to see if Rich is, is like seeing the telegraphing here, but Rich was taking some pretty wild, like, like kind of hacking swings, kind of like, uh, I don't even know how to explain it. The, the bat was completely upright and it was kind of like hacking down or forward with the bat, like in like a, like a, like if you were holding a broom and you were trying to hit the ball with the top of the broom handle and uh, Rich, Rich took one that was like, that would have been like chin music to like any other batter, but Rich like put a bat on it. <laughs> but the, the thing is when you hit a ball that's not supposed to be hit, it goes not the way it's supposed to go. And so this one went sideways off of the field into the, uh, the parking lot. And so it kind of disappears over like maybe some like bushes and some trees. And like it, it disappears into the distance. All, all we hear is and we see, we see glass rain up uh, from the parking lot. And um, uh, a windshield was, was completely shattered. Um, and, uh, being responsible guys in our twenties or whatever, um, we all grabbed our stuff, ran to a car and drove off. And so that's, um, that's another baseball related memory that I have of playing, (laughs) playing ball with Rich and friends. I had a, I had a trouble pulling the ball and it's one of those things where this is an extreme version of it, but a lot of times there's something about like. I'm not I'm not concentrating properly and my stance is all messed up. I mean when I was little league they they showed you how to like stand and like lean your foot back and go into it kind of like golf swing and put your weight behind it and I thought wow they like gave you like this folder and how to like do your stance but for some reason um when it's kind of like just a loose you know group of individuals on a field just hitting the ball um I can't concentrate, you know, I don't know, maybe I just mm-hmm. lose concentration. And so, you know, at the last second I see it, I hit it and it, bad things happen, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> Well, you know, there's a desire to, to, to make some contact. But, uh, yeah, I mean, at my bachelor party, I should say, which we've talked about on this, on this podcast, I, I did this exact same thing. I almost hit some, like, a, a couple, maybe with a baby uh, mm. going <laughs> down the aisle, like, to going down, like, the walkway. And I, like, kind of, like hooked one like across and uh yeah almost took someone out so it happens but uh i don't know i guess that's why they don't have the cars too close to major league fields because someone else would break a window as well well jeremy i i didn't know and this is kind of going back to your second story i never knew you made your own personal jason hayward speech i i did i i i did there there was a speech there i did give like it's not even the rich one but i gave like this weird speech like to the group of people in the room, like saying, I remember saying, like, can you believe this? The Cubs have a chance to win right now. Like, sure, we were losing, but we they have a chance to win right now. All they have to do is score a run, and they could do it. And like, yeah, but I'm a, I'm a, that didn't make the the uh, Verducci book. So yeah, usually, <laughs> usually Jeremy doesn't articulate himself that way. But to be very clear, during a highly emotional time, you know, he sort of stood up and gave the. Uh, everybody calm down speech um and just the way he explained it you know which is totally out of character for him and i think uh he needed to hear it as much as we did yeah i was probably saying it mostly for myself but 
Um, but yeah, so, all right, well, there you go. Um, so, so yeah, so, you know, we wanted to have Rich on, um, uh, and, you know, uh, I think like we, we kind of, we didn't have a game to go to or to recap or like a movie or anything. So we kind of just gave Rich a little directive here to, to come up with like a list of topics and, and just kind of like, you know, shoot down the list. So that's exactly what he did. So we, we have a list here, a bunch of different categories. Um, so, I mean... I think we can kind of go down the list and maybe see how many we can get to. Maybe maybe skip around if we need to. Um, but uh, but yeah. So if there's anything, Rich, if we end up skipping anything, Rich, like and and something you want to hit, like bring us back to it for sure. But um, let's let's just go down this list and talk some baseball, I guess, huh? Cool. <laughs> All right. Um, so first thing we wanted to do initially, we were thinking like just like a list of like you know baseball names. Um, there was a funny tweet uh, this week. I don't know if it's new or whatever. I saw it on social media where it's like, guys will just sit around and name old sports players and talk for hours or whatever. Just like by na- by just coming up with like a name of a sports player, which I think is true. Is like I love to just hear a name of a baseball player from like the 80s or the 90s. And like it, number one, usually brings a smile to my face. And two, like, you know, you, you can kind of go off. That's what we do every week. Uh, Jack, like, except for this week, ironically enough, but, um, we just, we list, uh, one guy a week and talk about him for the first 10 minutes of the podcast. So, um, so we got some, some names here, uh, provided by rich. First one on the list is Chili Davis. Uh, someone who's no, no stranger to the podcast. Uh, mm-hmm. we've, we've, uh, we've touched on a couple times before. Um, but, uh, rich, tell us, uh, why you, you, you put Chili Davis out there. I could just remember hearing his name on every, when I, when everybody like all the kids had baseball cards, his name just jumped out and like just wowed me. You know that somebody's name would be that. You know, legally, somebody's name would be <laughs> Chili Davis. To this day, I mean, it's one of those things where if you want to get you know snap yourself into a good mood, I mean, you can't be in a bad mood saying his name. I just don't think you can. I mean, at least the way my thinking goes. So, I guess. The name just scrambled my brain as soon as I heard it, and to this day, it's something that it's a it's an amazing it's like it's an amazing name because you're waiting for chili dog, you know, you're waiting for you know chili sandwich, you're waiting for chili on the side, you know. No, 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 this is chili, the man, Davis, you know. So there's something that is incredible. I mean, you already put up. Uh, sports hero, sports players as heroes in your life. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, Greek gods, uh, the Colosseum. Um, it goes back through time. I mean, Shakespeare probably had his favorite actors and actresses, uh, even though I think that the men played women. I, I don't recall how that <laughs> They went. did. Yeah, yeah, I think they did, yeah. But... As far as um, Chili Davis goes, um, what is there not to like? I mean, I've never watched him play. I don't have. <laughs> I don't. I don't, I don't. I don't have any of his baseball cards. You know, maybe on eBay I, that would be kind of fun, and I'll I'll hit up Jeremy on, on some some ideas on that. But it would it would be fun to maybe have a, a poster in my house or something. But just his name alone. Uh, is incredible and i just think that it speaks for itself and if anybody brings up baseball i'm not kidding there's a first name that comes in my head and that's (laughs) that's really all i could explain it as i mean really 
Jeremy predicted that, too, um, when he said this would be one of the categories. He predicted that you would probably pick Chili Davis, and he was right. <laughs> it's come up before, I think, in our talks. I, I threw a link in there to, like, the baseball card in the chat there that of the, the – the baseball card that I remember of Chili Davis is the 1987 Topps card. Um, it's like I just remember so many guys – I mean, you know, I probably – I can't name a specific time where I saw Chili Davis, like, play. Um, I'm sure I saw him – in, in a Cubs game when they were playing the, the Giants or somebody, but like, um, you know, so many guys from baseball cards. And so like, um, I think one thing that's kind of cool about Chili Davis, um, is that there's so many like old baseball guys who have like old nicknames, like old Hoss Radborn and friggin', you know, three fingers Brown and all these like old timey baseball names. And then you got a guy, Chili Davis. And it's like, okay, this is more like my style. Like, it's like those old guys are like, you know, maybe someone in like the twenties was like, "Oh man, three fingers brown, that's great." But it's like, God, that sounds like some kind of weird, like, uh, you know, ar- archaeological find or something. And so, like, you, <laughs> like you, you know, when you're like growing up, uh, even nowadays, if there was a guy named Chili Davis, I mean, he he's st- still, uh, you know, around in baseball. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's just kind of like a fun name, so I can totally see connecting to it. Well, it kind of defines the 80s, really, because, yeah, you have someone like Shoeless Joe Jackson, you know, or you have somebody like, you know, Three Fingers McCoy. I mean, these are like (laughs) these are like bank robbers, you know, from the 20s. These are like train heisters or something like that, you know. But Chili Davis kind of brought you into the 80s. Like, I'm going to the arcade (laughs) and I'm bringing, uh, you know, my Chili Davis card, you know, maybe I'll. (laughs) Maybe I'll just keep it in my wallet or something. It just—it doesn't make any sense. I'm gonna get a Slurpee. On the bottom, it's gonna have a hologram in it. If it's Chili Davis, man, I mean, that's like winning the lottery. <laughs> um, so the one thing oh, that Chili Davis did come up in the in the in recent years, uh, Rich. I'm not sure if you're from, if you're if you're aware of this, but Chili Davis was the hitting coach for the Cubs. In 2018, 19? Uh, I think it was 2018. Okay, yeah. Um, and he, he got fired, Rich. Uh, and on his way out the door, he blamed the Cubs for having too many. He claimed, blamed the Cubs for being, like, millennials and not, like, connecting to his, like, teachings, basically. Yeah, and uh, this year he actually got fired from the Mets, too, um, midseason. Um, uh, the Mets had actually come up with a fictional hitting coach named Donnie Stevenson, um, who they said his specialty was ripping heaters. But then, like, Pete Alonso was like, yeah, we got this coach Donnie Stevenson who's helping us out. And then, like, three days later they fired Chili Davis, and then Pete Alonso uh, cried about it. And it's like, well, I mean, you know, you made up a fake hitting coach, and, like, of course your hitting coach is going to get fired eventually. Um, so, yeah, it was an absurd thing. But, yeah, Chili Davis uh, been fired from two hitting coaches, coach jobs in the last three years, which is, which is kind of interesting. And he was, he was the Oakland A's hitting coach, too. So he's been a coach for a while, too. So he's still in the game. Yeah, and I think that's the one thing about maybe fantasy football, fantasy baseball, fantasy sports that you guys were really into that I never really <clears throat> had the, you know, focus and patience to get into. But baseball cards it would supersede your local team. If you had a name like Chili Davis jump out of the pack and just speak to you and your sensibilities, like the team just goes away. Like I don't even know what team he was on, honestly. I just knew 
that it was he wasn't on the Cubs, he wasn't on the Sox. He's just this had this amazing name, and it was almost like a Charlie Chaplin or something. I mean, one of the first things I used to draw when I was a kid was Groucho Marx, you know, because it's like that thing that Crispin Glover said about Andy Warhol or 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 um, Abraham Lincoln. You just need a hat and a beard, you know, like Warhol. You just, <laughs> you just need a wig and like striped shirt, you know what I mean? So it's like uh, the, the the iconic. Um, uh, attributes of a, of a person or a celebrity supersedes uh, who they are almost at some point. You know, I think I, I think I made my point clear. I mean, you know what I'm saying. Julie Davis also Jamaican. Uh, just figured I'd throw that in there. Um, all right, well there you go. So Julie Davis, um, uh, we got one fan here for sure. Um, in Rich, um, for life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so uh, not excusing. <laughs> any of his um, lackluster performances as a coach and there and you know <laughs> well we, that's a well the no, thing yeah, is I don't a, want to put an asterisk next to his name okay well the whole thing about these like like kind of like and Chili Davis was like a fan favorite for sure not a Hall of Famer kind of guy but like definitely a fan favorite pretty good numbers for his career quite honestly um and I think, like, this is one of the reasons why guys don't want to become, like, you know, Ryan Sandberg wanted to become the Cubs manager, but, like, I think the Cubs didn't want to hire him because they're going to have to fire him at some point. And it's, like, it's just not worth it. It's, like, just be a legend. Just be, like, a, a fan favorite. Why, you know, I, I know guys, like, are addicted to the game, but they want to come back and, and be involved somehow. But it's, like, people remember you and, and love you for, for, you know, who you were as a player. And then you come back and you're, like, a mediocre coach. And then they fucking hate you. So, like, you know, it's like, just stay uh, a legend. Just stay, like, a fan favorite. Yeah, we, we talked about that with David Ross, Jeremy. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, I think when we, we've mentioned this with, like, younger baseball players who don't know how to, like, open cans. Um, it's like, you know, baseball is all they know how to do since they were, like, you know, in high school. And they don't know how to do anything else. So it's it's hard for them when they retire like they got, you know, they got nothing else to do. A lot of them didn't go to college, so they just keep, you know, keep being in baseball. Sure. Yeah, and that's one of the things that broke uh, Babe Ruth's heart was that he wanted to coach the Yankees, and they didn't let him. There's probably a lot of reasons what you're saying, and also because maybe he was more popular than the owners or whatever, but that began sort of the conflict between player and coach, coach and player, and then you know, coach and the the front office and the front office and the broadcasters and the agents <laughs> and the players and that whole, you know, uh, you know, cluster. Sure. Well, um, yeah. So, you know, there's just, uh, I guess a cautionary tale there too for, for old Chili Davis, but, uh, I'm sure he'll resurface somewhere. Um, probably at this point, I don't know, he's, he, he's had, he's had, he had a rough road of late, but, um, Another guy who's a beloved fan favorite, uh, Raleigh Fingers, is on the list, too. I mean, this is, again, what I'm talking about. You know, it's like the mustache and the hat. You know, he looked like the Pittsburgh Pirates logo, but he was actually a man who looked like that. <laughs> and he brought being. back, like, <laughs> sideshow, you know, mustaches, like from vaudeville. I mean, it's incredible, the individuality that comes out of it which is a professional sport yet you can personalize it it's just a mustache it's not like he had you know ex 
you know, Captain Lou Albano rubber bands in his face. You know, it was just, <laughs> just, a, just a swirly mustache and just doing that, that little touch on his stashola. I mean, right there, you know, there's something incredible about it. He's like the Salvador Dali, uh, you know, the pitching mound, you know. I think that um, originally he grew that mustache. Um, I'm probably getting the story a little bit wrong, but I think that the Oakland A's owner was like giving guys a certain bonus if they would grow a mustache. And so he grew his, and eventually it just kind of turned into a thing, uh, the barbell mustache, and it became like his, his signature thing, and he just kept it. Yeah, I think that's that that was interesting to learn because you, you, it's hard to think of Raleigh Fingers before the mustache. But, yeah, that was... That was the thing because the owner Charlie Finley of the uh, A's in the '70s was a weird guy. Um, uh, the the elephant on the side patch of the A's is because he like rode an elephant out onto the field one one time, um, and like yeah he was like, I think I mean I don't know if it was in direct contrast to the Yankees, but like he was like giving players bonuses for like the weirdest like mustaches or facial hair or whatever, and that's how Raleigh Fingers got that mustache and yes he's stuck with it and like. It's hard to imagine him without that mustache. Well, not everybody can pull it off, you know, look like right. a, a carnival barker, but yet have the, the, the suaveness of, like, a count or something like that. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it just, it's almost like, you know, there will be blood meme, like someone needs to do that, you know? Yeah, I, I have actually strong feelings about Raleigh Fingers, um, specifically tied to the fact that his number is retired by the Brewers, um, which I think is a little bit ridiculous. When you look at his career, he only played like, you know, three and a half seasons with the Brewers. He did win a Cy Young and MVP with them in 81, which I think was the shortened season. He, I mean, he had, a, he had a really good year that year uh, out of the bullpen. He had 78 innings and a 104 ERA. But I, I don't think a guy playing, um, you know, three, three good seasons and then one bad season with a team justifies retiring his number. I think I've talked about it on here before. But, yeah, that, that was the first thing that came to my mind when um, – uh, you know, when I heard his name, but Hey, you know, they, I guess they were hurting for numbers to retire. So they, uh, they retired his, I, I mean the, it's the, 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 um, the rarity and oddity of a pitcher winning MVP, um, is so, so like, it's so weird. And I think a lot of people like are against pitchers winning MVP. Um, I, I mean, I wish I could have seen him pitch that, that year, uh, because it must've been one hell of a year. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's weird. Do you, who, Hank Aaron? Who else is is that? Is that it? Yeah, Hank Aaron, Yount, and Molitor are the right, other ones that are retired. They better not retire Braun. We'll do a whole podcast about that if they retire Braun. But right. I don't think they're. I don't think they're gonna. Yeah, I um, yeah, I mean, you know, who knows? I don't know. I think like, I mean, I think the one thing about the, the Brewers retiring his number is that I feel like most people remember him as an Oakland A. So. That's yeah. that's maybe where the the miss comes in, but like, um, mm, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I guess if they want to cling on to his his legacy, I suppose that's fine. I don't know. They might have also retired number one for Bud Selig, but I'm not entirely sure about I, that. Th he is up on the board there. I don't know if that's like symbolic or that's like uh -huh. real. Um, that would I would be. I mean, I hope it's be, symbolic. Yeah, yeah, you got to be more upset about that one for sure. <laughs> But, um, but yeah, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. Raleigh fingers before kind of before our time. So didn't really get a chance to see him pitch. Um, 
it's weird to think about him as a Padre. Uh, Raleigh Fingers was a Padre in between Oakland and uh, Milwaukee. You don't hear anything about his career with the Padres. No, no, it's it's weird. Um, I do have an I do have a, a card of his though from from that year because it was he was a he was a he was a Brewer in '81, but um, his '81 card is him on the Padres, and uh, with that being my birth year, I, I have a card uh, autographed of him from that, and uh, it's it's a it's a it's an oddball card of an uh, oddball guy. So uh, I don't know, right up my alley, I guess. I don't know. Nice. Um, Goose Gossage is on the list. I mean, I can see. Uh, you know, we got three guys, three three odd first names. So. I mean, to me, I think of him, and I and I know that he did some strange things on the mound, and but the name alone was um, attracting me enough. I mean, you have food for chili, Raleigh fingers, you know, stashola, and then you got goose gossage, you know, you got a flying bird, you know, on the mound, you know, with the the original like '70s mop top or whatnot, and he just had such a goofy lanky look to him i know kirk gibson uh, smashed a homer on him they have that clip and i you know i i saw that and that's too bad because the coach was like do you want to stay in he's like yeah you know i'll stay in so but other than that uh i don't know too much about him except his name and ever since i heard that name is it his nickname clearly it's his nickname goose gossage i mean this kind of stuff is incredible because there's an endearment to it there's also kind of a descriptive uh, uh, aspect <laughs> to a nickname. You know, people who name you are your family and your extended family. You know what I mean? And so basically your family says, okay, these syllables go together. Maybe these letters go together. And maybe, you know, the kid won't get beat up too much if his both of his names kind of complement each other. You know, And then you have your friends or or people outside of your family that name you. And however he got that name, whether it was by his own creation or others, it fits perfect. You know, I mean, what kind of name is that? It's crazy. It's it's a wonderful name. It's an exciting name. And it, <laughs> it describes exactly what he looks like because you look at him and you're like, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the guy, you know? Um, and it's, it's kind of funny to see, like, Goose Gossage through the years too, because he was a little more. He was always kind of like lanky and and just kind of like his hair was kind of like floppy and stuff. But like the younger Goose Gossage with like the longer hair and the floppier hair, he has like this. He has this like like um, look of like a some sort of animal. I don't know if it's a goose or some like a wet goose or something. I don't know. It's just he was a he was an odd looking guy for sure. Um, real name is Rich actually. Rich Gossage is his name. Um, but so again, again, another guy slightly before our times, but Jack, I remember goose Gossage on the Cubs. He was on the Cubs, uh, at the end of his career. And like, I remember, and I want to say in 88, maybe and yeah, like, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so I was like seven years old at the time. So like trying to process who goose Gossage is at, at seven years old, like on the Cubs, I'm just like, what is, who is this guy? Like his name's goose. Like, and then, like, I think, like, it wasn't until years later that I found out that he was, like, a world-class, like, closer um, in, in baseball with the Yankees. And, like, it's so – it was weird. So, Goose Gossage is one of those weird ones where, like, I caught the tail end of his career and I had no context of, 
of who he was uh, and like the great things that he did in, in his past. Um, but uh, it's weird to think about because he was already kind of old at that point and, and kind of like on his last legs. But like when I heard that he was like a like maybe like one of the most feared pitchers and he's like Josh Hader now or like um, or oldest Chapman or something like he was like a feared closer to face. And I'm like the goose, the guy named goose. He People were afraid of him. But I mean, I guess I don't know. I guess geese can be kind of nasty too. Yeah, they? I mean, if you're a little kid feeding bread to geese, you know, like they can <laughs> go after you. Yeah, they'll they'll scoop your eyes out with their bill. I I do wonder what his he, you know he had some t- seasons of 25, 30 saves, quite a few of them. I do wonder what those save numbers would look like today. I mean, obviously the game was was different back when he was at the height of his career in the you know the seventies and, and early eighties. So, uh, you know, bullpens were used differently. Guys, pitchers still probably, uh, you know, went a lot longer into the game, into games. And the closer role probably hadn't developed into, into what it, uh, you know, would become today. So I bet a lot of those, you know, 25, 30 save seasons would be more like 45 save seasons. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just looking at his like, 1975 numbers here. So he appeared in 62 games, zero starts, 49 games finished. So 62 games, uh, no starts, 141 and two-thirds innings. So wow. the guy was pitching like over two innings per appearance. Yeah, it, that, it's just it's, it's insane, uh, yeah, how much things have changed. I, uh, uh, I think, too, Goose Gossage was, was uh, famous for one of the, you know, he was part of one of the most famous plays in history with the, uh, he was the pitcher who was pitching during the George Brett Pintar incident, right? Oh, is that right? I didn't know that. I believe he was, yeah. Um, so I think yeah. he gave up the home run to George Brett that eventually got called back. Interesting. Um, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I suppose we would be remiss to not mention some of his his latter day issues that he had. Um, not not so much issues, but another kind of like uh, old man kind of moment. Like Jack, r- help me remember this, but like, didn't he like kind of rail out against like Bryce Harper a couple years ago? Do you remember that? Um, yeah, I remember him saying something. Uh, I I can't remember what it what it was though. I I think we may have talked about it on the podcast. So it was probably as recently as like two years ago um let me see if i can find it here it was pretty funny though it was uh i i got it kind of here it's like i can't stand to watch this game the way it's changed and the way guys act if i see one more pie in someone's face i'm gonna break my tv he's like oh okay yeah with the celebrations and stuff like that okay yeah um and i think there's something let's see he said this this is 2016 he said this so i'm not sure exactly what um, let's see. So, uh, da, 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 couldn't help but ask why, what he thought of Harper's comments that baseball is tired. Oh, that's right. Cause like Harper said, that's right. Okay. So he, Harper was saying like, like, you know, it's tired how like, you know, the old school rules or whatever. Um, and he's like, what, what does this kid know? This kid doesn't know squat about the game and has no respect for it. Here he is making millions of freaking dollars. That's great. I'm happy for all the players and all the money that they're making because it's hard earned by the players that came before these guys uh so you know just a little bit of uh like probably probably a little like saltiness about like you know the amount of money that players are making nowadays but um it was kind of uh it was an odd moment there where he kind of lashed out against some of the the bright stars of of baseball and um shoot that was in 2016 i i I don't know if i want to know what he thinks about fernando tatis swinging on (laughs) 3-0 
Um, yeah, interesting guy though, but yeah, definitely a little bit a little bit before our time. I would have, uh, you know, we we have talked about guys we would have liked to have been able to see. I think I mentioned Ricky Henderson was one of them. Um, you know, in his prime. Uh, and yeah, Goose Gossage is probably another one of those guys. Yeah, well, and he could have signed with the '88 Cubs, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Um, not good. Um, so, uh, all right. So, uh, now, okay. Now this is, so Rich has a couple uh, movies down here and, um, surprisingly they're not three, they're three movies that we've never really, never really gotten into. Like they've come up on the podcast more so more a lot, the first one, but like these are three like classics that we've never just really gotten into. So the first one is major league. Well, just just off the top, we wanted to say congratulations to the newly named Guardians, so the Cleveland Guardians. And from that point, um, I would just say that the film itself, the way it's filmed, the way it's shot, the way the players wear their uniforms, the way everybody behaves... um, Besides sort of the exaggerated um, owner uh, slash, uh, you know, uh, sultry, um, uh, you know, lady, uh, mistress uh, woman who um, is evil and wants to move the team to Miami. um, Everybody is authentic in that film. The way they talk, the way they, they dress, even if they're eccentric. I mean, everyone's believable in the film. Even the, the B player Gentry, who comes in the background a few times. <laughs> why do I remember him? Because I saw his name and I'm like, who, who's that? It's like, oh, he's in the movies from time to time. You'll see him around, you know? He does, well, yeah. He's in there multiple times, I think. I mean, the thing about it is, is you're watching a movie, but it's like you're, you're in a baseball game you know i don't want to say you're in the jock strap of the player because i'm thinking of like uh you know serrano right now you know doing his uh meditation in 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 the uh locker room you know but like and the film is so quotable you've got bob Uecker pulling us in i mean can you imagine that you get to hang out with bob Uecker in the booth and drink jack daniels with him you know and then just sort of like be his you know like a fly on the wall during all of this madness going on but it's just like it's a side of any professional career where just like we're talking about Gossage going after the younger guys I mean the great thing about it is I mean when Dennis Hopper was talking about colors there's a script going around about LA gangs and he took one look at it and he said, listen, you guys don't know what you're doing. You know, he told the executives, what do you think? And he's like, you got to have an old guy and a young guy and they need to kind of butt heads. And that needs to be the through line through the whole film, you know. And so then you've got Robert Duvall and you got Sean Penn. And there's this raunchy joke that they say in the beginning and the end of the film ties the whole film together. And it's crazy because a film that has one of the most classic hardcore gangster rap uh, soundtracks, which are Ice-T Colors, the film starts off with a country and western song. Because, you know, there are scenes where, you know, Robert Duvall or, or Sean Penn, he's wearing cowboy boots. Because 
you know, that's just like the not the culture clash of it all, but it wasn't like it, it was like bringing together everybody in L.A. from the cops to the street gangs and everybody in between. Anyway, that's how they brought it together. So what I'm saying, there's elements of that all throughout Major League. And I think the way the whole film works and why it's such a classic <clears throat> is that the things that are simple are simple. I, uh, even Dennis Hopper once said about James Dean, he asked him, about acting advice, you know, and James Dean said, listen, if you're going to drink a beer, just drink a beer. Don't act like you're drinking a beer, you know? And for me, <laughs> you know, it's easier said than done, obviously, but major league, there's something authentic about it. I mean, when the nuns are wearing the, the, the jackets, you know, and, and all that, I mean, besides, you know, you know, there, there's some cringe moments in it. I think overall, I mean, I don't need to oversell it or anything, but there, there's a lot of elements to it that, that go, you know, um, not underappreciated, but it's like we take it for granted, I think. The, the, the effort that was put into that film, that you could just put it on at any time. And, you know, the catcher, his knees are bad, you know. And the pitcher, he just got out of jail. And Serrano, we don't know where, where the hell he you know, came from. <laughs> Willie Mays Hayes, you know, he just got dropped from his talent agency. You know what I mean? And it's like... And then, and then you've got the old pitcher who's got, like, Vaseline on his head, you know what I mean, and under his <laughs> armpit, you know? It's like, I'm throwing everything I got at him, Skipper, you know? And it's just like, <laughs> you're just like, you know, it's got the classic Bad News Bears vibe uh, theme going through it, but in major, in authentic Major League Baseball fashion. I mean, obviously they got access to stadiums and the jerseys. Yeah, it was fil filmed at Milwaukee County Stadium, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like... When you have the league, you know, actively participating with you, I mean, a lot of 2001, uh, you know, Kubrick had access to NASA, you know, and NASA experts. So a lot of his consultants were from NASA themselves, you know. That's why people, when they saw the film, were like, how the hell did he do this, you know? I think when you have the league participating in a film instead of fighting against it, but, I mean, I don't know how Moneyball was made or whatever, because I think of that, but... Um, this is sort of just an inside look yeah. on, on baseball in a real way, I think. You know? Well, I, that's one of the sad things to think about today is like, I, man, I, it's like I don't think the league would, would allow the rights to Major League nowadays, right? Like I feel like there's too many like kind of raunchy things in it to where they wouldn't – they probably wouldn't want like the, a licensed like uniform team to be associated with that. Yeah, it's, it's kind of a miracle uh, the movie got made because that, that was because uh, baseball players are obviously very coarse. Um, you know, we've learned that through, you know, countless mic'd up, uh, you know, umpire manager arguments. Um, so this was the first movie that really uh, illustrated how how much baseball players swear and like, you know, like what dirty mouths they have and just kind of like, you know, what what kind of grungy guys they can be sometimes or, you know. Jake Taylor, the catcher, like, you know, he's an old rundown guy. And, um, you know, the one guy, Roger Dorn, is like a prima donna. Uh, yeah, it's just uh, you, you had all different personality types there, too, which was great. And uh, there were even small characters that had classic moments, like Harry Doyle's sidekick, Bob Uecker's sidekick. I can't remember what his Mon name was. Is Monty. It in the Monty, yeah. Is it in the first, the first one where he's like, Monty, you take over. I'm in the bag. And some guy makes a great catch, and he goes, fly ball, <laughs> caught. I think, like, you know, like... He doesn't. Yeah, I can't remember if that's in one or two. I think that's um, in two. Okay, is but, that in two? That, that but, that's su surprising because two two is not very good. 
Um, There's a yeah. similar moment in one though where he's like, um, it's like right before the playoff game, and he's like, "Monty, tell us how you how you feel." And he's like, I, "Like this is like I feel great." And he's like, "He's not the best color man in business for nothing, folks." <laughs> yeah, it's almost like the script is writing itself. Because as a baseball fan, you're like, "They're not going to do it justice," and it's like, boom, 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 boom. Everything, every scene, it nails it home. It's just like, you know. Have Bob Euchre, who can match him? No one. So then don't match him with anyone. Just have someone be a straight man, some Boy Scout who literally never gets in a word edgewise and doesn't want to. He doesn't want to talk over somebody else. I mean, you had Santos, you had Harry Carey, but you always had somebody, you know, you got the like A and the B role on the mic, right? And so it's kind of like that thing where they just pushed it to the edge, you know, and they were just like, let's just highlight what this is and leave it be and it just works perfectly you know i also think the last game um where they play the yankees um to get try to get in the playoffs like it's like a one game playoff whatever last game of the season that's probably the best uh the best like you know final game in any movie or at at least baseball wise like it plays out like an actual game would where the yankees get ahead and then serrano hits a two-run homer in the seventh and then vaughn comes in and then they end up winning on like a uh, you know a little bunt base hit whatever but just like the moment where serrano ties that game with the home run um i mean you've seen that in countless playoff games like it was so realistic or even the fact that they had ed harris who i think that's the pitcher's name uh the old pitcher start that game and he goes like six seven innings and gives him a solid outing that like feels real too because he wasn't a big character in the movie but he did start that game which i always thought was kind of a neat touch yeah it, there's yeah so many so many good things there i mean you're even recalling it like it was a real game do you see what right. i'm saying yeah. that's yeah. A, that, that my point has been made <laughs> <laughs> um yeah you know here one movie we've never talked about though uh jeremy i don't think we've really ever mentioned it on the podcast is field of dreams yeah i, I yeah i don't think so um uh timely with the field of dreams game coming up uh in a couple weeks i guess maybe next month um yeah coming up coming up soon uh like they're gonna play the white Sox and the yankees are playing uh a game that was supposed to happen last year and they they had to uh cancel it because of covid but um yeah so uh it's honestly rich i I mean for me these are like one and one a baseball movies um of all time because and and like it's one of those things where it's like you don't have to pick a favorite between the two because they each serve their own purpose. It's like major league is like the realist, like raunchy, like kind of like guys angle of like what baseball is like. And field of dreams is like the, the poetic, beautiful element of a field of dreams. And honestly, like they should go hand in hand because it's like, this is the two sides of what baseball can be. Yeah. I mean, Jim Carrey has a quote where he was talking about the last scene about the catching scene with his, with his father. And the line, it reads just straight off the page, hey, Dad, you want to have a catch? You know, yeah. I mean, it's just like crazy heart-pulling, heartstring-pulling, you know, material there that, you know, guy, you know, the cure, you know, boys don't cry and that whole thing, you know, and men don't cry and they don't show emotion. But, yeah, man. We've I'm, touched on that on the podcast before, too. <laughs> well, <laughs> It's a, I mean, if I'm going to go straight for that scene, I mean, there's this whole J.D. Salinger tie-in with, you know... Um, uh, yeah, it, well, in the uh, his, his name is Terrence Mann in the movie, but um, with James Earl Jones. But in the book, because um, the, book, the book is quite good, too, um, 
Uh, he's he is J.D. Salinger, and the, the author of the book got in a lot of trouble because he used the name J.D. Salinger. But it's it's still in there. They didn't make him take it out, um, so it's it's still in the book. But yeah, that that character is supposed to be J.D. Salinger. But James Earl Jones, I think, got an Oscar nom for that, and he's got the it's baseball, Ray, like that monologue, which is a great monologue. It is, and only until this year did did MLB start using that. Maybe they couldn't get the rights or something, but like. They're, they finally started using that in commercials, like this year, this year, maybe last year, but I, I think this year. Um, and it's like, yeah, it kind of it ruined it a little bit because I I used to like to post that like on opening day every year because it's yeah it's just so great. Yeah, and it's amazing, and you know it's it's funny because you know there's those that you know post Waterworld, you know Kevin Costner can't recover his career or something like that, but man, like if you're talking about like I mean. You know, we're skipping over Bull Durham here, but that's fine. I That's one that I'm not as familiar with, you know. You know, I'll get around to it, I guess. But um, <clears throat> but I think, you know, like Dances with Wolves and, uh, uh, I mean, I guess I'll say. The, po- the Postman? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the Bodyguard or whatever. But, like, Field of Dreams, man, it's like he's a cool guy, even though, like, you can tell that he's sort of like your stock actor or something. He does great in it, I think, you know? I mean... He's really good in For Love of the Game, too. Just uh, as an old pitcher, the way he moves around on the mound and and looks, uh, it's... Yeah, he clearly is a baseball fan. I I think that helps, too, right? Like, you know, like, he he also helped kind of, like, carry it out. Like, uh, Charlie Sheen is a big baseball fan. Um, So, like, it, it like, kind of, like... It helps when these guys, like, kind of know the game a little bit. Um, And I know that, like, the, like the eastbound and down Kenny Powers sort of thing, like works on a comedic level, but like, you know, it's cool to see a guy throw a ball or swing a bat. Like they know what they're doing um, uh, to not just go completely farcical with it. But um, yeah, I mean like uh, in the, um, in the spirit of like trying to like communicate about baseball with people who don't, like baseball or don't follow baseball or whatever it's like you know field of dreams is kind of like one of those things you try to like when you try to like uh like describe like the the beauty of baseball to someone who who doesn't really follow baseball it's like you're you're better off just saying like hey just watch field of dreams and if you get it you get it and if you don't you don't like yeah the spirituality of surfing or the spirituality of skateboarding you know it's very hard to articulate but you know anything that you're doing that has physical movement and that you put yourself into and there's this there's stakes you know there's whatever however high or low they are um there's also an aspect of spirituality to it you know and you just can't deny it i mean uh whether you win or lose the game i mean there's there's a beauty in 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 both if you really are looking for it if not then i guess you just lost a bet or something like that and maybe that was what happened but the spirituality of it, I think, is, is, is that's the one that really, it really hits home, I think. Yeah, and listen, let's not forget, too, uh, I think that was Burt Lancaster's uh, last film role, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, um, as Moonlight Graham. I love that line when he's like, he pointed the big bony finger at me and he said, right field, you know? <laughs> so it's, um, well, yeah, he's, he's great in that movie, too. What an amazing way to go out, man, when like, right. somebody gives you a role like that. Again, Dennis Hopper. He saw um, the um, Anthony Hopkins film. What's the one where he's a butler? Uh, Remains of the Day. 
And there was like a joke in The Mighty Wind where they had the remains of the day lunchbox for kids, you know? (laughs) But Dennis Hopper on on Charlie Rose, he's like, where are those rolls for me? He's like, where's my remains of the day, you know? He's like, I I, want to get uh, send up like there where somebody builds a whole film around me or, you know, you're you're a bit roll, but this role is like, it is like, it's like one of those things where, I forget the actor, but they were saying, you want to be... You want the role that they talk about you a half hour before you show up, kind of like the Joker or something like that, you know? Like, that's the role you want because everyone's waiting for you, you know? So I think with Burt Lancaster, to go out on that film, wonderful. You know, he could have been in some crazy, you know, ridiculous... um, Wagons East. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, he deserved, you know, John Candy deserved... Better. I don't want to say the. You know, I don't want to dis- discredit like, that film. But yeah, don't. I'm sorry, I went there. <laughs> you you but. led me into it, but whatever. You know what I'm saying. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, to, I don't know. Just trying to think of any anything else there to say about that one. I um, did, have, did any of you guys ever go to the Field of Dreams? No. I um, I went when I was a kid and got to like take batting practice on the Field of Dreams. Oh, oh nice, uh, nice. And, Was uh, it so? It's in Iowa. It's in Dyersville, Iowa. Um, it felt like it took a long-ass time to get there, but I was also, like, eight years old or something. Um, but I remember... There's pictures of, of it somewhere, but, like, um, like it's kind of... Like, I went with, like, my mom and my aunt or whatever, and, like, just... Not to get too, like, flowery or whatever, but I, you know, I was raised by women. Uh, no one really, like... I, I played baseball with, like, my grandfather sometimes, um, but, like... Uh, lack of a male baseball role model sometimes in my life. And I remember going there and like, I didn't even know that you could play on the field, but like people were just there. And I remember like, we just met like some guy, some random dad and his son. And they're like, Oh, we'll throw some pitches to him. And like, I like got to like swing like uh, the bat a couple times on. And like, it was maybe like the best hitting I ever did. Like my mom even was like, wow, you were really hitting him. Like, well, um, you know, I couldn't do that in, in a, in a little league game, but, uh, on the field of dreams, I, I had, I had a small moment there, but, uh, yeah, it's cool. I don't know. It's, I certainly now, like I, I've been looking at the imagery of, of the stadium now and they like built like these seats and everything on it. And like, it looks, they had like constructed into like a major league dimensions, uh, field now. So I don't even know, like. I don't even know what they like let people do nowadays uh, on that field, but uh, maybe maybe I got a small window there where you could actually play ball on on the field. You know who else was raised by women, Jeremy? Jack Nicholson. Jack oh, Nicholson really? was also he was also raised by women. So there you go. Interesting. That's what, what I always think of whenever you say that. I think you've said it a couple times on the a couple times on the podcast. Um, let's let, let's actually let's skip down to another movie thing. Um, Rich, you have this listed under classic moments under your notes. Um, so the Carlton Fisk scene in Goodwill Hunting, um, uh, you said uh, uh, here a tie into the f- uh, fit perfect into being brave. So what what is the what does that Carlton Fisk scene in Goodwill Hunting mean to you? Well, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, the film at that time. I mean, uh, Elliot Smith being in the soundtrack, uh, uh, you know, Gus Van Zant being at a peak of his powers, um, you know, the heavy influence of uh, ordinary people within the, within the uh, screenplay is there um, at some point they they'll acknowledge it I mean they don't have to but it's there but the perfectly cast character of uh, 
Robin Williams is exactly what Dennis Hopper is talking about. Like, where's my Goodwill Hunting role? I mean, that is made for Robin Williams. That film, if he didn't do anything in his whole career, I don't want to put it that way because that's a little extreme. But there is something so endearing and perfect about that role for him, wearing the the sort of the um, rundown, like the the sort of the 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 sweaters and the, and the, and the shirts and. Even the file cabinet, they have, like, it's a mismatched, you know, drawers or whatever. But the scene itself, he's talking about seeing a girl in a bar ends up being his future wife. And he's got two tickets to the game. And this is a famous game. You guys can fill in the details. But the way they lay out the story, they intercut footage from the actual game. And it's grainy. And it's the real footage from the game. And it shows Carlton Fisk, and the, the whole stadium is packed. And the way they tie in the scene with the uh, therapy session that they're having is wonderful. And at one point, there's a um, bird's eye view of the office, and he runs around the coffee table, and each small individual couch is like a base. And just the way he explains it, he's like announcing the home run. You have Robin Williams announcing like one of the most famous home runs in, in, in Red Sox history, and he's recreating it, and it's perfect, you know. Yeah, um, I had read uh, uh, that Pat Darcy was so he's the guy who gave up the home run um, uh, that that Reds. Fisk hit. Yeah, yeah, he was on the Reds, and he gave up the home run that Fisk hit. I think there's something in there about. Um, uh, Darcy looking scared or something. I'm trying to look through the uh, monologue now, and I, I don't see it. But um, I think Pat Darcy was upset about that because, like, he he wasn't. He, it was his second or third, like the third inning that he pitched in relief, and he said he was tired. Like he wasn't, you know, scared. He was just he was tired. Um, and Johnny Bench had actually said before that uh, before that inning, he said he knew Darcy wasn't going to make it out of that inning because he didn't have anything left. Um, so I've, I've read a lot about that game, and I, I read a book about the 75 Reds. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting because they, they brought it up in there too. Um, but, like, that, there's definitely baseball players that, like, you know, I, that, it was a Rizzle. famous moment and have, have had feelings about, you know, about that. It, it's funny that it's funny, like, to hear guys bristle about how they're portrayed in films. Like, uh, uh, Art Howe was mad that they cast Philip Seymour Hoffman uh, as himself. Uh, and he, like, I think he, like, called into question, like, you know, his physique or something. Yeah, if, if anything, like, Philip Seymour Hoffman is kind of flattering casting for Art Howe. Yeah, especially, like, that was such a small role in Moneyball, too, I feel. but Great, um, he did yeah. great, he did great. Philip Seymour Hoffman sorely, 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 sorely missed because oh, yeah. he could come in and just dominate that role. And what is he doing? He's got a beer gut, and he's just pissed off, and he's just standing there disagreeing with the front office perfect yeah well talk you know leave it to a baseball player to completely miss the the, the achievement of, of having philip seymour hoffman like portray you in a film but but yeah but um but yeah uh you know that is a great scene um uh just the whole thing about it i mean it kind of is like the central scene of the whole movie it's i i don't know if it kind of breaks the ice between the two of them. It definitely like kind of brings them to like a new connection. And then of course it like it's referenced again at the end, um, good, good will hunting. And so, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, great. 
Great well, I'll say, yeah, I'll say this, Jeremy. I don't think I ever would have skipped. If I had tickets to a game six of a World Series like that, hell no, I wouldn't have skipped that for nothing, man. Are you kidding me? A deciding game? What, what's the line? He says, like, that's why I'm not sitting here telling you how I regret not talking to a woman. Uh, and I don't regret not seeing a fucking baseball game or something like that. Yeah, like, um, yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's it had just to am- be that way. It's just amazing because it's almost the economy of the dialogue. It fits perfect. Everything fits perfect in there. And it's just like, the you know, just the whole thing balances out really well. And just like you say, it sets up the last scene of the, the film where it's like, you know, he stole my line, you know. And that that's what it's all about, man. It's like, I'm not going to ask you for permission. I'm going to steal your line because you've given me enough fatherly guidance. You know, a lot of... Um, there was a film student that I lost track of uh, from Columbia, but he did this breakdown of the karate kid, you know, that, you know, Mr. Miyagi calls Daniel, Daniel's son, you know, and he, he's driving that home. You know, this is a single kid with a single mother. You know, they move across the country to California from New Jersey. He's got the accent. He s- sticks out like a sore thumb. and And the whole thing is like, the insecurity of a single child with a single parent and looking for a father figure. And it all works out for him, you know, because the crane kick, you know. <laughs> um, there you go. Well, uh, <laughs> all right. Um, yeah. Uh, so, yeah, we got We got to kind of have a, a kind of a pick your own adventure here of where we go with the rest of this stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'll just say, like, just to look look at these, these classic moments here. Um, uh, I have to say, I, ha- I have a soft spot for that uh, 01 World Series. That's one thing uh, that, Rich, you have on here, uh, the D-backs and the Yankees. Um, that hit up the middle by uh, Luis Gonzalez um, to, to walk off that World Series and, and win win it for the, uh, the D-backs. Um, it was an interesting moment in, in, in uh, baseball. And actually, you know, even to put even the, the Carlton Fisk thing in, in the uh, in kind of context, Jack, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the Reds ended up – that was in game six of the World Series, right? And the, the Reds ended up winning that World Series. They won the next game and won yeah, that World Yeah, they won series. game seven. Yes. So it's weird to th- – like no one knows that. You don't want to know that. Sorry that I said that, Rich. But, like, it, you know, they, they, that was the greatest moment, like, in baseball potentially – and it ended up that the Red Sox actually didn't win that World Series um, with it's, you know, and to talk about screenwriting, uh, like, you know, the script obviously in, in 01 is for the Yankees to win the, the World Series. And um, they had some huge comeback wins. They had, I think, back to back comeback wins against Byung Hun Kim uh, in New York. And uh, it was bedlam. It was crazy. And like that was. Like that was the mo that was the New York that was New York's moment of that World Series because then it would go on. Uh, I believe that was Game Seven. Was uh, that the Jeter uh, Mister November game? I believe so. I believe so. Um, and uh, then I believe it went Game Seven, and that's where the back to Arizona and and the Diamondbacks did win that. Um, so you know it didn't follow the storybook script, but uh, it was a amazing series. I, I remember feeling guilty to my core that I was rooting for the Diamondbacks. I mean, Mark, yeah. Gra- Mark Grace was on the team. Yeah. He was an old cub. The way Grace describes the team in the documentary says, we were a team of a bunch of old crotchety guys, you know. And basically, I got it. But there's something about 
not rooting for the Yankees at that point, that was almost sacrilege because of yeah. what happened in, at 9-11. But again, the whole idea of baseball was that was returning to normacy, which was root for whoever you think you need to root for and do whatever it is you need to do because no matter what, the game is what it is, and this is a catharsis, if you will. Jack, you're smiling. Maybe I, I, I said no, something. No, no, no. I was, I was looking at something else on your list. But you're right. You're, no, you're, you're right, though, Rich. Um, uh, I think that was maybe one of the reasons that the uh, Jeter home run, I think it must have been in, in Game 5, maybe. Um, I, I'm not exactly sure about the game. But I think people saying, you know, New York, New York, uh, after that and just stayed. Um, and that was, that was a, a, a classic moment in, in New York sports. I mean, even like Jeter telling George Bush, you better throw from the mound or you'll get booed, you know? <laughs> All that stuff is classic stuff. And even in the doc, they said it wouldn't have been right if they didn't win at home. I think that's what the takeaway from it was, was that they went one, two huge games at home and, and, and the stadium went crazy, went ballistic, you know? And I think they came, came from behind. I don't know the exact details, but um, that was a tough time to root against the Yankees, and I still did, being honest. And, um, <clears throat> you know, that happened, and yet that's all baseball, and that's all, you know, it is what it is, you know. Uh, I also rooted for the D-backs that series and uh, felt the same thing, but I also was like, at that point, like, the D-backs, you know, were like what they were in the fourth year, no, third year of their franchise. So, uh, yeah. Th- yeah, and so, like, how could you not, you know, I don't know. There was something there was something there for sure. And maybe the grace thing helped a little bit too um, before, you know, he, he started speaking his mind and other issues that he had. Um, Rich, you also have here too. Uh, so it looks like a, you have under classic documentaries for baseball, you have a uh, it's listed Reverse of the Curse of the Bambino um, on HBO. It seems like, I've never seen it, but it seems like it's probably about the 04 uh, Red Sox. Um, you have one note in here that says Johnny Damon hitting. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember that much about that series. You know, they talk about the Dave Roberts steal, but uh, hey, I, I do know that uh, Johnny Damon, at least per himself, is a, is a good fucking guy, bro. Um, at least that's what he said to a cop after he got pulled over for drunk driving. You remember that story, Jeremy, from, you know? Oh, yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I, you know, this is kind of funny. I was going to say this back when we were talking about Raleigh Fingers, but if we really wanted to, we, we, I feel like we've probably brought up each one of these guys, like, in, in maybe not the most flattering light uh, since since this thing. It's sad how someone can kind of fall from grace or kind of lose their, their way a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that's um, that's Johnny Damon has had some some issues, has some maybe uh, some views that I don't agree with um, politically. But uh, um, yeah, the reverse of the curse. I mean, that whole 04 was again, like just like, man, I don't know. It's like there were there was a lot of a lot of things going on in the aughts with baseball um, that could really kind of sink you in. Um, I remember living with with all you guys, too, in, in 04 um, during that series, too, and that was something to behold the just as a neutral fan, you know? Yeah, again, rooting against the Yankees, again, um, you know, the Red Sox were the underdogs. And, um, the you know, you go through this documentary, you've got, you know, Dennis Leary in there. You've got, um, you know, um, a lot of, um, you know, 
all you know you had a cross section of, of Bostonians in it and um, <clears throat> I always forget the guy who talks slow the comedian who Stephen Wright Stephen Wright's in it you know he's saying like he was he felt bad for the Yankee fans because they just didn't know what to do but coming from behind the, the greatest comeback of all time but you look at some of this stuff in this documentary one of the notes that they say is the the last batter and you could check this maybe uh but this is what they rattled off was was number three and the whole idea was that you know that's that's you know babe ruth's number you know and the whole concept was you know they traded babe ruth to the yankees and they can never get their you know their they hit their stride and they can never get the pennant you know they could always they get his you know and the whole thing about kurt schilling with a bloody red sock you know, if someone might say that's staged or not, I mean, the whole idea of it is like it takes you a second to get it, and you're like, red sock, you know, blood <laughs> on a sock, and you're like, what is happening here? You know, it's crazy, <laughs> you know? And, like, all those little things that happened during that series, one of the things I noticed, too, was um, I forget the, the, the player's name, obviously, but he had just had pine tar all over his helmet, you know? And it almost covered the logo, and I almost felt like maybe that's a way to hide the logo from baseball gods and say, look, man, don't associate us with this team right now while we're hitting. We just want to get on base. You know, you know what I mean? I was, like, thinking this crazy stuff. But the comeback from, from, from 3 to three to 0 or whatever it was, that, the, the, and, again, the steal, and the, I had to make a note of this, Dave, Dave Roberts. Roberts. Yeah. In the dock, they say that he only was in the game twice. He's only in the game twice. Pinch hit, pinch runner, and then I think pinch runner twice, or pinch runner for sure that time. And and there was the, the, the setup for it was the whole stadium, everyone knows what you're going to do, and you still have to do it. And I think that was an amazing takeaway was you're on base, they're trying to throw you out, and he barely made it, by the way. I mean, he barely yeah. made it, dude. That, that throw from the Yankees catcher, he, he missed it by hair, man. It's crazy to think, like, yeah, if that if he didn't steal that base, none of that happens. Um, none of that happens. Um, it's it it is pretty crazy. Um, I mean, it gives you goosebumps to think like the way the Sox and the Yankees fight it out every year. It's crazy, you know. I mean, you know, the fact that it happened against the the uh, Yankees, um, and the year before that, the um, the Yankees dashed. Uh, they walked off the 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 Red Sox in the playoffs as well. Um, and so it, it, it added even more uh, steam to, to in 04 when, when they came back three zip. Uh, one of my favorite like things about that whole thing, and of course they had to come back from three nothing too. Like again, like just perfectly scripted, perfectly um, just lined up by the baseball gods. Uh, one of my favorite things about that whole thing is like, so we talk about speeches. Uh, Kevin Millar supposedly gave or he not, I, I think this one's maybe a little more documented but he gave a speech um to the team uh i don't know if it was yeah i guess it was before game four and he was like don't let us win tonight don't let us win tonight because tomorrow we got pedro then the next day we got shilling and then game seven you don't know what what can happen and that's kind of what happened like it they, I, they I, won yeah i, I remember those that two. i remember that clip he actually foresaw the setup and the lineup and he kind of just rattled it off to fellow Red Sox on the field and he was like hey 
we've got a really good chance here if A, B, and C happens, then X, Y, Z happens. So he was already like foreshadowing potential um, combinations of um, actions that may, uh, you know, uh, Isaac Newton the thing through. You know, <laughs> that's that's the that's that kind of baseball stuff because um, yeah, it's like you think of like okay, we need this scenario, you might, especially when you're painted into a corner like that. You'd like I need this. We need this scenario to happen. Like we got to win tonight. We need Pedro to be Pedro. We need Schilling to be Schilling. And then game seven, you know, we have, you know, it's even back to square one and anyone can win. Uh, so, yeah, pretty crazy. It just It's just unbelievable. The reason I brought up that series is maybe that's, you know, apples in a barrel. But the idea of the Cubs and the Red Sox having similar, like, down-to-the-wire, like, outcomes, it's just ludicrous, you know? I mean, obviously that was... The, the, the most major one but um there's something about you got to say something about momentum and something about just plugging away at something till you you just don't don't care if you're embarrassed or not you just keep going keep doing it and uh you know sometimes that stuff happens it's just freaky man and the guy there for both of them was Mr. Theo Epstein, who's going to save baseball. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that being said, Rich, I, have, I did not see this HBO uh, special on, on this thing. I think I feel like I saw, like, you know, I think there was a 30 for 30 about it that I saw. Um, but I uh, did not see this spe- specific HBO special. Um, yeah, I'll have to check that one out, too. That sounds, that sounds interesting. I mean, I think the go-to is always Ken Burns. And, you know, rightly so, he's, like, uh, in the Pantheon. But there's a lot of like Sports Century and HBO docs that they sneak in there and that you see from time to time that, you know, they do a pretty good job on this stuff, you know. Sure. For sure. Nice. Um, nice. Well, we're getting to about uh, a little less than 10 minutes left to go here. Uh, Rich, uh, anything else you want to, uh, any other burning ones you want to uh, talk about from this list here? So I've got a few good ones left. Well, do you guys want to pick one? Well, I think we got to talk about Joe Buck because we already teased it earlier. Right. Um, I want to say just before we get into that, I want to just, you know, like we've talked about Mitch Williams on this podcast before, but but Rich uh, has it on here um, uh, attributing uh, one hell of a mullet to 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 Mitch Williams and uh, also attributing him or uh, equating him to the as the Jim McMahon uh, of uh, of uh, baseball players. Um, so, yeah, I mean. Rich, like, uh, yeah, do you have any specific memories about Mitch Williams as I mean, a Cub? He was just a badass. He might have been the original eastbound and down, uh, except, you know, he was yep. a little classier, I guess, maybe. But at the same time, like, how exciting was it when he came on the field and played? I mean, it was crazy. It was it was like that Charlie Sheen stuff, you know. It was like, like this guy is the wild thing. I think that was his nickname at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> And so uh, I just thought it was it was really fun at the time to just throw a wild card in there, you know. He he was certainly the kind of pitcher who would drive you crazy uh, in the sense that he would like he would walk the, he was the classic guy who would walk the bases loaded and then strike out the side. He would drove, drive you crazy for sure. Um, uh, Nick, uh, I mean uh, our friend, uh, a mutual friend of ours, uh, Rich, uh, his dad uh, was um, a big Cubs fan who we um, you know would I would like watch baseball games with. Uh, referred to Mitch Williams as Mitch the bitch um, because uh, he, for those very reasons that he would drive you crazy. But um, as a kid, like just had a goofy windup, crazy mullet, just kind of a little, just, just a weird, crazy guy. 
Um, maybe a little too crazy uh, as, again, some of his off-the-field exploits would happen. But, um, but yeah, just uh, like a good guy to have on the 89 Cubs who made the playoffs and, you know, like like was kind of like maybe the first playoff Cubs team that a lot of us of our generation remembered. So, um, so yeah, definitely a memorable Cub for sure, uh, memorable Philly. And, uh, and and angry angry when the team would score more than three runs because then he couldn't get the save anymore. At least according yeah. to Lenny Dykstra. Yeah, yeah. So maybe not the best, maybe not the most favorite teammate in the clubhouse, <laughs> but but we liked him. Yeah. What one of the I'll t- I'll close it out with two things. One being the Brooklyn Dodgers. It's been an obsession of mine. Uh, the last four or five uh, trips out of town I've made have been to Brooklyn. Have been to New York. For some reason, the last 10 years, I was just I decided, like, I just want to go there. And I never had any interest in it before. I was just like, whatever, you know, like, that's fine. But for some reason, I would just take trips out the weekends or a week here, a week there, and I had days off or whatever. And the thing about the Brooklyn Dodgers and its legacy is tied into uh, political um, hijinks and a lot of red tape of baloney. And the thing that uh, hurts is to think that if the Cubs were sold in the 1950s or 60s, like during the 1950s when they were like doing really well and, the sh- and, and like, like, you know, you had an area of the city that didn't have a baseball team anymore. I mean, the ramifications of that are just un- unthinkable. And I know that they've held that over uh, negotiations with uh, different things in recent time. But I think the, the story of the Brooklyn Dodgers having, you know, Jackie Robinson and a winning team at the time, and I might have my, my years wrong, but the, the, the whole point is, is that where the Barclays Center is today, there is a flagpole from Emmett's Field. And when I saw that, my, my, my heart sank. Because this is what they got. Because that location was where they wanted to build the new Dodger Stadium. Moses wanted them to build it where CITI Field is, right? City Field, which I've been to, too. And it's, it's cool. It's by the airport and stuff like that. And like to swear our district. But the story of the Brooklyn Dodgers is like one of the most bitter, sweet stories in baseball. I don't know if it's sweet at all. I, the only thing I could connect it to... It's Kirk Gibson's home run, um, which tied into the natural at the time because it was in theaters and it was just such an unbelievable hit. And as Bob Costas describes, it doesn't even look like a real home run because he barely taps it. But, you know, Gibson calls it his insurance swing that anytime he had that stance, he would hit the ball. But there's that whole deal. And I look at the maps of Brooklyn and I think, what if they cut out a part of the park and just built a stadium for them? They don't have a baseball team. Obviously, the Mets are there, but a real, you know, a Brooklyn baseball team. So I've seen online that have bring baseball back to Brooklyn and all this kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, there's different, like, people make T-shirts and stuff like that. So that's one thing. And the other thing I just say is the last thing I'll end with is Cal Ripken Jr., only because he played that many consecutive games and that was kind of a philosophy I had with maybe it's um, anti-angst during high school 
which I said, look, I'm not going to take any days off. I'm just going to go to high school every single day. <laughs> and I looked at it as a rebellious approach to high school. And I was thinking, you know what? I'm going to just go every day like Cal Ripken Jr. Because he just shows up. And I know his dad played ball and his grandfather played ball. And they're just like, you know, it's just like, you know, like Lieutenant Dan of baseball, you know, where his father and his grandfather and his great-great-grandfather all like served in the war or whatever. So there's that lineage of baseball. But what a class act, man. And I don't know if like the game he missed it was like for an ingrown toenail or something silly like that or something but i just think that it's an amazing story because it's not about stats of his play it was the stats of him showing up i mean there's something to that 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 i really uh identify with for some reason i don't know why yeah for a long time he for a long time i think he played every inning of every game too if i'm not mistaken um mm. but yeah and i think that that day off that he that he took if i'm not mistaken he may have uh just had a uh, like a scheduled day off or they may have just been like all right we're finally going to end it this ended now which is um i remember there wasn't a lot of like pomp and circumstance when he actually when he actually ended it but when he broke the record when he broke lou gehrig's record that was one of the all-time cool moments too when it became an official game he went all the way around the stadium um, I was a kid when that happened, but I, I still remember watching that game. For sure. Um, and I got to say, uh, this is episode 128 of Rain Delay Theater, and I'm pretty sure it's the first time Cal Ripken Jr. has ever come up on this podcast. So. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, Juan Soto three weeks ago and, uh, you know, Cal Ripken Jr. today. Yeah, maybe, well, we'll, maybe we'll talk about Mike Trout next week. Yeah, right. Um, Iron Man finally gets his due. Um, uh, the whole Brooklyn thing, uh, real quick, is like, it's crazy, like, when you think about, like, where stadiums are, when they build stadiums now, they're either downtown or they're out in the suburbs or whatever. They're not in neighborhoods. They're not, like, in fucking neighborhoods. Like, um, I think uh, I even heard Boog Shambi, the current play-by-play guy for the Cubs, he was, he's been, he's said on the, on the broadcast, like, he had, he came to Wrigley Field as a kid, and his memory of it was just, like, walking down the block and seeing, like, a house a house, like a do- one door for a house, a door for a house. And then it was like a door that led and you went inside and there was a baseball game going on inside. So like, it's just like, that's the impression is that it's in a neighborhood. Like for us Chicagoans, we know that it's, it's Wrigleyville and it's, it's not like, you know, it's not like mom and pop corner store sort of thing. But like, um, it's hard to think about back in the day that Wrigley field was like, or that Wrigleyville, like Clark and Addison was like a bad neighborhood. Like it wasn't a neighborhood where people wanted to go. Um, it's, it's changed over the years, but like, but yeah, like the, the damage that taking a team out of a neighborhood like that can do to the neighborhood, um, is just, is, is devastating. And so like, yeah, for that to happen to Brooklyn, I'm not super, super familiar with the story of the Brooklyn Dodgers, like leaving. I know that, um, it was, it was, it was ugly. Um, and, uh, like, uh, would Jackie Robinson like refused to play? Or no, uh, he was he refused to get traded. That was a whole other thing. But um, but yeah, like uh, just it was it was it was there was pain in like New York for many years about about the Brooklyn Dodgers leaving. Um, so yeah, if you just imagine like the site of of where the stadium is now and just yeah, it was just like a big black hole in this in the neighborhood for them well, to leave. Well, yeah, I mean they have like <clears throat> they have like a huge tenement there, a tenement building or. Um, you know, a, a huge apartment complex, or what it, whatever it is, but that's fine. And 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 there and there, people that live there now, and that 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 is what it is. I'm just saying that it's a private enterprise, which is a, a, a franchise, a baseball franchise. But I think as far as part of city planning, and as part of righting a wrong, and trying to 
trying to like reestablish or and if it, if it can't be called the Dodgers anymore, of course, because it's it's in L.A. now, it could be called something else. But there is some. It's not that it's 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 a a city precedent that every city and every neighborhood needs to have a baseball team. But this is just one uh, particular um, you know incident where I think a wrong needs to be righted, and I think that you know Brooklyn has suffered enough decades without a baseball team and i just think that something if can if if it can be done the brooklyn nets moved into barclay center that's where they wanted to build the the new uh, dodger stadium so there can be something done or 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 not if it is it would be nice to see that happen and i think that would be you know sort of the note i'd like to leave it on which is you know bring baseball back to brooklyn and you know uh viva um (laughs) <laughs> the, bur- the, the borough, you know, yeah, sure. Yeah, right, and and L.A. Dodgers doesn't even make sense because I think Brooklyn Dodgers was uh, the name for that team is like literally you're crossing a street and trying to dodge traffic or trying to dodge whatever the cable cars or taxis or whatever they were talking about. That's so I think that was the origin of the Dodgers name. So I guess maybe it works for L.A. too because of all the traffic there, but uh, I don't think it's the I don't think the spirit of it is quite the same. And those documentaries when they talk about the Dodgers. Like that they would have stoops where the radio was on and you could just walk down the street and hear the game because everybody had the radio on. I mean, it just tied everybody together. And just to imagine, like, just taking a team away from, an, you know, a city like that. or, or For better or for worse, like, if, if they if they ripped the Packers out of Green Bay, uh, like, you couldn't imagine what there, that would there do the infrastructure. Hey, there'd only be one guy who'd be happy about that, and he's playing—he's playing quarterback for the team. So, yeah, right. A um, lot of drama with Aaron Rodgers. I don't know what's going on with him. Like, uh, he's on the team. He's not. He's back. He's. Well, I think he got a new contract, so he'll okay. be on—he'll be on the team this year, and probably maybe not next year, but he will be on the team this year. That's what and, they say. So. And then he's on Jeopardy too, right? I think so. He, yeah, he'll, he then he'll be run. hosting. He'll be hosting Jeopardy uh, if if we all get our wish. Um, but uh, but yeah. Uh, so uh, Joe Buck, fuck Joe Buck. We hate Joe Buck. We've talked about it before. He's a pompous asshole. Um, I don't know if we need to get back into it. We could we could maybe send it off on that on on the note of the the, the Brooklyn Dodgers. But uh, but yeah. So um, yeah, I think we can we can kind of wrap it up here. So Rich, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on the pod. Um, if we ever do uh, our uh, our full-fledged major league rundown. I feel like we, we, we did pretty well here tonight, but uh, we'll, we'll have you back for uh, for a movie review uh, episode or something like that. Rich, um, you have, do you have anything you want to plug before we sign off? Uh, yeah, I do. Basically I, I do a, a daily uh, GoPro 360 calendar photo every day. Um, it's uh, basically Instagram.com backslash rich salamander. And then also I do a daily uh, 360 GoPro skateboard video for the day. And that's on do your board report. So do your board report. Basically, um, that's also on Instagram. So Rich Salamander is the easiest way to get a hold of me. And basically other things um, that might be happening from time to time. Uh, Recently, I did a group photo finally it wasn't just a photo of myself but of some famous skateboarders and uh that's on my page as well so i'm starting to try to branch out i mean i know the pandemic has been tough on on everyone so sort of my part of my therapeutic approach to it was to go into empty fields and take 360 photos of me 
and nothing around me for about, you know, uh, I don't know, like a hundred yards in every direction. But that was my way of just saying, hey, look, uh, here I am, you know. And I yeah, am. very cool. You know, I, I wish I wouldn't have waited until an hour and a half into this podcast to bring this up, but I've actually quoted you on the podcast one time, Rich. Uh, it was from the speech you made at Jeremy's wedding. I like the line where you said that uh, Jeremy claims to be punk rock, even though he's seen uh, every one of They Might Be Giants' Chicago dates. Uh, you had you had some some line in your in your speech that uh, that was to that effect, which I like because I've seen They Might Be Giants live as well. But I thought that was a good line. No, that's cool. It's funny because um, I was really uh, dreading the speech and also I was prepared for the speech but then the whole speech fell apart and it was a disaster <laughs> so I think at the end of the day when I looked at Jeremy's uh, better half at the end of it I was just like let's just have fun and I think I screamed or something like that and uh, I, I, I did I did I tried to tie it up at the end with uh, something relatively civilized you know which was sort of you know out of the top of my head which was something you'd see in Sleepless in Seattle or something like that, you know, sort of threw that out there just to kind of like make good, you know, because it was bad, but it is what it is. And that was I, a, fun, a fun, you know, that was fun. Yeah. Well, half, at least half of that blame is goes to former guest uh, Ben Perkins, but uh, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, well, it was a very eloquent way to, to wrap it up. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, we, we enjoyed the speech uh, immensely. So, um, so all's well that ends well. Um, but, uh, and, and speaking of ending well, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up here, uh, for this week of rain delay theater. So again, Rich, thank you for, for being here. Um, I am Jeremy Dionisio and I'm Jack Swakowski. We'll see you next time. <laughs>